Marcus Shlita, um, I'm very honored by those words. It means a lot to me. Uh, and it's a very big honor for my heroes. Um, it's a very big honor for me to speak in the base Medrash. I think I should make a Shefianu. Uh I don't think I've ever spoken here publicly before. I always was given the honor of speaking in the auditorium. Uh, Reb Branspiegel, Sefer Tzadik Lavracha, who was Nifter just a few months ago, he was the founding Rosh Hashiva of Lander College. Uh, he was always given the covet of speaking in the base Medrash, and I was always a little jealous of that, you know, but I understood the chilek, obviously, but still, I always wanted, you know, it was on my bucket list to get to one day speak in the base Medrash. I think I've done that. Now, and hapam uh, Hashem, you know, amusa hapam, whatever you want to say, this is it, I'm good. Um, but it's wonderful to be here. It's really wonderful to be here. You know, we know that there are many different levels of, of aptitude in life. There are people that are blessed with natural abilities, talents, skills that you know, we, some of us really don't have or we feel we don't have. It might be that they're able to get sheer and we're not. It might be that they're able to play a guitar like no one else and we're not. Or it might be any other thing that we feel that you know, we lack a certain ability to break through a certain level. And if only we could... but. We tell ourselves that we can't, or maybe other people have told us that we can't, and therefore we sort of settle uh, for mediocrity. We're okay where we are, we're going to just continue to coast where we are, and we're going we're to understand our limitations, and we're not going to try to strive higher and break through those natural abilities that we have. Rav Dessler says that that's a very, very big mistake that we could make. A person has to understand that even if they think that they're not able to accomplish great things in life, a person has latent potential, skills, talents, brilliance, creativity, that if they would be able to somehow tap into, they would be able to grasp and to take it to the next level. He brings an example that I saw with a, my own Talmud, with my own eyes. I didn't actually see it, but the Talmud told me firsthand, this is what happened to him. If anyone knows what Kew Gardens Hills looks like, which is where Lander College is, there's a main strip called Main Street. And my friend, my, my Talmud, who's a, he's a very nice boy, Chashua, but he ain't no weightlifter, he's not in any way strong. He'd probably tell you he's very weak, in fact. He was walking down Main Street, and off of Main Street there was a woman in one of the private houses that was screaming for help. He's not in Hatzalah, he's not in Chaverim, he's, he's just a regular guy. And he runs over to the woman, and he says, what's wrong? And she says, my son, my baby son, he's a toddler, 
he's in the crib in his room, and somehow, like a svarim shrunk, with all the svarim in it, probably, you know, could be hundreds and hundreds of pounds of weight, tilted and fell on the door going into his room, and they can't open the door. She has to get to her baby. Her baby is screaming, and she has to break through this door. So the first thought that comes through my Talmud's mind is, okay, so call the fire department, call the police, call somebody strong. I'm not strong. You know, what do you want from me? But he immediately, like, dismissed that because he saw how desperate she was. He got his cape out, and he ran into this house, and with all of his strength, and there was, like, a screaming baby, like, in the crib, like, needing to get to his mother's arms, he pushed the door in, and he was somehow able to move the Svarim Shrank out of the way, push the door in, and he was able to bring the baby out and give it to the baby's mother. And he tells me, he says, I wouldn't be able to lift like three of those Svarim. There were about a hundred of those Svarim, but if you would ask him to, could you do me a favor, lift three Svarim for me, like the heavy Svarim, and carry them across, he wouldn't, he'd say, I can't, I'm weak. But he was able to, because it was a, an emergency, and there was, call it what you want, you call it adrenaline, I don't know how scientists would chalk up these types of things that you hear all the time, that when things are urgent and you need to pull out something extra from yourself, suddenly you're able to find within you the strength, the power, the stamina to do anything that you want, even though it doesn't make sense. On a normal day, I would not be able to do this, but you're able to find the strength within you. Cesar of Desler, the same thing is true when it comes to Limanatera, when it comes to being able to accomplish great things in your life. If you're able to understand that what you are is so much greater than what you think you are, now you're able to break through many, many layers on top of layers that you thought were impossible, but are truly possible. I'll tell you a story that happened. I wish that I had brought my prop with me, because I say this a lot, and I like to have props with me when I, when I speak about certain things. This is one of them. If I'd be in yeshiva right now, I would have this prop with me. Here's the story. This is going back to the early years of Lander, maybe it was 17 years ago, and we had a Talmud that came in from a, a, a very, very basic yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, like a Balchuva yeshiva. He knew nothing coming into that yeshiva. He knew a little bit more than nothing when he came to Lander. Very sweet boy, very fine boy, very nice boy, but I don't know if he knew which side of the, of the daf was Rashi and which side was Tysus, just to give you an idea of the skill set that he had when he came into Yeshiva. But he did not let that stop him. And every single day, he came to every single thing that was offered. If I would give a Chaburah after davening, he was there. And if I would give a Vad at night on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Mondays, he would be there for all three nights. And he'd be coming to my shmuz. And he'd be coming to, obviously, his rabbi's shir every single day. And he'd chazer that shir every single day. And at night, he would come to night seder every single night. And on Shabbos, and on Yantavit chazer. And he'd learn musr, and he'd learn halacha. And he was taking it so seriously. He was lapping it up. But I'm telling you, when he first came into yeshiva, he knew nothing. Nothing. Kimat. 
Fast forward a few years of doing this. He got married to a wonderful girl. I went up to his chasna in, in Toronto. And then after that, he moved with his wife to Eretz Yisrael. And I didn't see him. I think I bumped into him once. I was on a recruiting trip. I was walking in Geula. I bumped into him. We hugged. We exchanged numbers. But then I really, you know, did not, you know, see him that often, that, that much at all. But a few years after that, I got in the mail um, a package, and it was addressed to me from him. But it wasn't his original name that he came into Lander with, which was uh, a very Gaiisha name. He now had a very from name. And that was, you know, the name on the return address. So it's very interesting. It's, it's nice. He's sending me something. I don't know what it is. I opened it up, and it was a very hush of a safer. And it was a sefer on Isser Veheter, which is a very complicated sugya in Shulchan Aruch about, about Basar V'chalav and about Taruvis and all of the, the intricate details of Yerudea that people go for during Smicha. And it was a sefer that was full of chidushim, a very thick sefer. And I said, it's so nice that he should send me like a random sefer. I don't know, you know who wrote this thing, but you know, it's, it's nice that he, I mean, there's so many sermons you could send me. If you want to send me that, fine, you know. And he inscribed it beautifully, like, thank you for all that you did for me and all the inspiration and all of this. I said, so nice. I, but why would he send me the Sefer? And then I look on the Sharablad, on the title page of the Sefer, and it says, you know, it says the name of the Sefer, on the Halachas of Yisr and then it speaks about, like, what exactly it's, which Halachas of Yisr it's speaking about, very complicated, and then it says, written by, this is in Hebrew, written by, and it's his name. And then I open up to the Askamas. The, you know, every Sefer has like letters of approval, brachas from G'dayla Yisrael. And this one had brachas from the greatest G'dayla in Eretz Yisrael. The Paiskim of Yerushalayim. Rav Sternbach wrote him Askama. And, and, uh, Rav Meiselman wrote a Maskama from Taras Mesha. Tremendous brains, tremendous Tamdechachamim. One after another, Eidacharedis and this and that, like Badatz, across the board, and they're all calling him Harav HaGain, HaMuflug, the amazing rabbi, the genius of a rabbi. And I'm saying to myself, I've never seen such a thing before in my life. For somebody to be transformed entirely in 10 years, in, the, in a decade, I have things in my refrigerator that are older than 10 years. Ten years is not a lot of time. Maybe at your age, ten, ten years uh, is an eternity. But at our age, am I right? Ten years is nothing, especially since COVID. COVID like completely threw my my ability to to reckon with time. I, like now, like a day is like a year, and a year is like a century. I don't know anymore. But ten years is not a lot of time. I know for you, it's half your life. But for me, it's 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 a third of no, it's a uh, it's it's a lot. But. In 10 years, to go from not knowing which side of the page is Rashi and which side is Taisis, to going to be called Harav Agayin and putting out Svarim that are very Chashva Svarim, full of Chidushim and well-researched and unbelievable level of, acad- of scholarship, just proves this point to Rav Dessler, that if a person has a fire within, if a person senses the urgency for greatness, then no matter what your level of, of of background is. You could tell yourself from today till tomorrow, well, 
This rabbi that came to speak today is not talking to me because he doesn't know which high school I went to, he doesn't know what I did in high school, he doesn't know my family background, and that, might, that is true, okay? I don't know anyone in this room's background. But I'm telling you that no matter what your background is, it's not less than that guy. It is not less than that guy. The difference between him and everybody else in the world is that he understood, like that Talmud of mine that ran into that room to save the baby, that he needs to do something. He does not want to settle for mediocrity. He does not want to just go through life assuming that he is not going to ever become a rabbi and be a Talmud Chacham and be a Gain and be a Gadol. He's not, he said, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to live a life like that. I want to live a life that I know that at the end of my life I, I squeezed out of my sponge as much as I possibly can and then some and then he'll be happy. And that's what he did. I wish I had brought the safer with me because you might think that, you know, I'm making this up, but I'm not making it up. It's, an, it's a fact. It's a fact. And this fact is relevant to each and every one of us, including myself. I'm not preaching here. I'm talking to myself right now. I'm letting you listen. I'm not, I'm not just saying that. It's a machayev. This boy is a machayev for all of us. He obligates us. Because if he could do it, then we should be able to do it. I'll tell you a delicious story. There was a woman, this is not a goggle story, so please forgive me. This is a regular story, but I think there's a very powerful message that there was a public school teacher in Chicago, in the inner city of Chicago, and she just got her master's in education, she got a job with the Board of Ed, she's working in this public school system in the inner city, the, the most dangerous part of Chicago, in the hub of that place, she took a job, this is a white Irish lady that, you know, it was a very dangerous thing for her to be there in the first place, but she took a job, and she was very motivated, she had a lot of ambition to change people, and she came into this class, and the class was complete hefkerus. The, pla- the class was screaming and shouting and hanging from the ceilings and doing crazy stuff, and, and uh, she, she, she went home, and she basically, you know, said to herself, that's it, I am going to retire, I can't do this, I, I, it's not going to work. She tried it another day, again, she said, I can't do this. She went into the principal of this public school and she says, I have to speak to you. And he said, okay, please sit down. And just as she was about to explain why she wants to retire, he gets an urgent phone call. He says, please excuse me, I'm going to take the phone in the other room and you are going to uh, just stay here for a few minutes and I'll, uh, I'll be back. So while she was waiting, she took a walk around the room And she just happens to notice out of the corner of her eye that there was a roll book of all the kids in the school and it was open uh, to the page of her particular class that she was entrusted with. And she can't help but look down at it momentarily just before the principal comes back in. And she sees that all of these children, all these, they're high school kids, they had like 140, 135, 138, 129, 
on their names, by the side of their names, going down the list. And she says, wow, these kids are geniuses. This is their IQ scores. These kids are geniuses. The reason why they are what they are is because they came from horrible, broken homes and terrible, dangerous uh, ghettos, and, and obviously they're not going to be able to succeed. But I'm going to, now that I know that they're diamonds in the rough, that these kids are not ordinary kids, these kids are geniuses, I just have to bring out that genius and, and they're going to be superstars. So what she did was, she went out of her way and she was sweet to them and she took them on extracurricular activities, she took them you know, on Sundays when she didn't have to, she took them to the museums, she took them to libraries, she gave them projects, she took them to, to the Philharmonic Orchestra and she like educated these kids, she cult- she, she made them cultured, and they, they responded, and suddenly they were like doing like way above their, their levels, and they were really you know, crushing it on every level. Amazing, amazing turnaround. They, she took a, 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 a class of a very, very you know, challenging kids, and she made them great. At the end of the year, at the end of the year, there was a... Uh, a big assembly in school, and every year this was their minute in this particular public school that they gave an award to the teacher of the year. And obviously she was chosen as the teacher of the year. She was it. She, there, was, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a second place. You know, sometimes you have to like, be done, like who should be the valedictorian. There was no second place. She was it. She, she did the impossible. And the principal gets up, presents to her the award, she did a miraculous job. She did a phenomenal job. She is it. She is our teacher of the year, and everybody stood up and gave her a standing ovation. And then she gets up to speak. And she says, I want to explain to you what happened. Now I could tell you what happened. And she told the story about how she was about to retire, about to resign two days into her tenure. And she, the principal got a phone call, and she looked in the roll book, and she saw all these brilliant kids' IQ numbers. You know, there was 130, 135, 140, 128, 129. And she said, these kids are brilliant. And I knew then that all I had to do was polish these diamonds and they would be stellar. They would be amazing. And that was it. And everyone clapped again. And then the principal got up again. And he said, I want to tell you something. He says, first of all, never look in my roll book. That's number one. And the second thing is, those were not their IQ scores. Those were their locker numbers. Those were their locker numbers. And the point of this story was and is that we sell ourselves short every single day. And we don't understand, we don't understand how great we could be because we don't see ourselves as being great. Other people tell us, you're okay, you're average. And you're going to be good at this, but don't even try to do that. And even if nobody ever told you that, you tell it to yourself. I tell it to myself. We always sell ourselves short every single day. But if you would understand what your real aptitude is, if I would tell you that you were geniuses, if I would tell you that you were talented, if I would tell you that, you're, that you have the potential to do anything in life that you really set your heart on, if you want to be a tremendous Hamachacham, you could be that. You want to finish Shas, you could do that. You want to write Svarim, you could do that. And Lahabdil, if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a professor, an engineer, whatever it is in your life that you want to do, you can do it. The only person standing in your way 
is yourself. I once heard a beautiful story from Rav Nate Siegel. He once spoke by a yeshiva dinner. I don't know if you probably heard of Nachum Siegel. He, he's the radio personality in America. Uh, he has a wonderful, uh, you know, reach, and uh, he's, he's a wonderful person. He has a brother who's a rub in, in Staten Island. I'm sure you know him very well. And um, where's the Verrazano? That's in a different... Oh, there it is, yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, does anyone know, everyone knows about that, or it's a secret? That's the Verrazano Bridge, because the Marcuses hail from Staten Island. So the Verrazano Bridge is the way that you get from Brooklyn to Staten Island. A little trivia about Rasha that I had to come and teach you. But, and there's a great story about the Verrazano. The Verrazano, what time are we over? So, just... As Hashkafa, there's a lot of Hashkafa that's built into the Verrazano Bridge. Because the first Rashi in Sefer Bereshis, we'll get back to what I was speaking about, don't worry. But the first Rashi in Sefer Bereshis says that, it's not the first Rashi, the Rashi in the first Pasuk says, Bereshis is Taira, The world was created for Taira. The world was created for Taira. Which means that every single thing in the world is for the purpose of Taira. Whether we realize it or not, if you see a skyscraper in Midtown Manhattan, for some way, somehow, it's for Tyra. And if there's uh, anything in the world, I don't care which country it is, or there's some reason for it being produced just for the sake of Tyra. And Gedalim say that the Verrazano Bridge was built many years ago at incredible cost. Of course, they make it up every single day, probably in spades, because it's like, I don't know, $20, $25, how much is it today? I don't know, $30. I know it's a crazy bridge to cross. But, um, but they say that the reason why it was built was because Rev. Aaron Cutler used to learn in, he, used to, he was a Rashiva of Lakewood, and he, but he lived most of the week in Borough Park. And he had to get to Lakewood, but in the olden days, for, to get from Brooklyn to Lakewood, took hours upon hours upon hours because you had to go all the way around. It was like a... They built the Verrazano Bridge so that Rav Aaron Kotler could get back to Lakewood from Borough Park quicker. And if you think that what I'm saying is, is, is absurd, I'll tell you something even more absurd, that this is not me saying. This is G'dayla Yisrael said that the reason why the airplane was created was because Rav Aaron Kotler used to give a sheer by Rabbi Zalman, by his father-in-law's yeshiva, Eitzchayim Yerushalayim, and he had to get back and forth. How, how is he going to get back and forth in time to give shir in Lakewood and then give shir in, in Eitzchayim? How is he going to do that? No problem. The Wright brothers invented an airplane. They had commercial travel just when Rabbi Aaron Cutler needed it, and the airplane was created for him. Now you, you say, okay, prove it. I'll prove it. I'll prove it. If you ever took a highway to get to Lakewood. Anyone has, has anyone ever been to Lakewood in their life? And I didn't go to Lakewood, so I'm, I'm no, no skin in this game. Did anyone ever go to the... You, you went. Okay. If you ever noticed, you'll take a highway to get there. I think, it's, I think it's the nine. And it's like a beautiful, wide highway, like a gorgeous, big, wide... How many, how many lanes is it? It's a lot. It's a huge, huge highway. And what happens when you get to the city of Lakewood? You ever notice what happens to the nine when it hits Lakewood? It becomes a one-lane highway. Right? It becomes a one-lane highway. Why, how did that happen? 
What happened was that the state of New Jersey wanted to build a highway from wherever the nine begins. I have no idea where it begins, but it cuts from early on in, in you know, New Jersey. It was supposed to go straight to Atlantic City. They wanted people to be able to be ferried to Atlantic City, which was going to be a big moneymaker for the state of New Jersey, because that's where all the gambling was going to take place. They wanted people to get there, but what happened? They ran out of money as soon as they got to Lakewood, and the highway project just stopped. That's what the state of New Jersey says. But it's so obvious that in order to get B'nai Taira from Brooklyn, from New York, to, to get to be able to learn in the Ira Taira in America with speed and with alacrity, there needed to be a highway that's going to be wide and it's going to be Barabcha so that you can get there as quick as possible. And once you get to Lakewood, that's it. There's no more need for a highway. I, I'm telling you, you have to go and see this for yourself. Don't trust me. Next time you're in America, just it's Kedaita. There's a lot to do in Lakewood also that you can learn there. The, the Ruchmias is Gavaldik, the Gashmias is Gavaldik. You can get any restaurant, any, any Gashmias you want is in Lakewood today, and the Ruchmias is even better. But look at the highway. Just keep your eyes on the highway and see what I'm saying, and you'll see the whole world. But the Verrazano was built not for anything else but to get people to Lakewood and to Staten Island, to the Shul, to the Marcus's Shul, and to, and to the other Shuls, Nate Siegel's Shul. Uh, much faster. That's the reason why everything is built. It sound, I know it sounds ridiculous. You probably think that the, the men in the, in the white coat should be coming and taking me away at any second now. But, and maybe they should, but for other reasons, but not for this reason. So I heard once from Nate Siegel, a, a Gavalda Gavart. He says that there's a, something in nature that's very perplexing. It's called the bumblebee. Anyone know what a bumblebee is? A bumblebee is like this big, bulky, furry bee. It has these little wings, and it's able to fly. It flies like the Goodyear blimp. It's like it's not really moving so much, but it, it gets off the ground, and it's flying. And this is something that stumps every scientist, every person that knows aerodynamics, nature. I understand how a fly could fly. It's a light creature. A mosquito is a light creature, so the wings could flap, and it could fly. There's no way that a bumblebee should be able to fly. There's no way. It's just, it has little wings, and it's bulky, it's heavy, it's like, it's just, it's just too, it's too big to fly. It can't fly. But yet it flies. Every day there are bumblebees that are flying. And you'll see next time you see a bumblebee, it's like, it's almost like it's a miracle that it's flying. How does it fly? It can't fly. So Nate Siegel said, Rabbi Nate Siegel said, that the reason why the bumblebee flies is because nobody ever sat it down and told it that it cannot fly. If somebody would tell the bumblebee, we have to have a, you know, we have to have a, a face-to-face right now, you will never fly. You are, you are not built to fly. You cannot fly. Those wings on your back, forget about it. It's, not, it's meaningless. You are not able to fly. If somebody would have done that to the bumblebee, you wouldn't even try. You're right. Okay, talk. I'm, now I'm, I'm just a caterpillar now. I'm not, I'm not a fly. I'm not a bumblebee. I'm not going to fly. People told me I'm not flying. The reason why it does fly is because nobody stopped it and said, you cannot fly. And this is what happens to us. We could choose to listen to all of the naysayers, ourselves included, and say, I cannot fly. I cannot do more than maybe listening to Shear for 10 minutes a day 
and I'll try to learn it, I'll try to hazard a little bit, I'll get a little piece of it, but more than that, do not expect of me, and that's how I'm going to stay the rest of my life, and if you're happy with that, more power to you. But, if you are understanding of what I'm saying to you today, then if you have cheshek, if you have a desire to be greater than that, then I'm telling you, you can fly. I'm sure you have flown a lot more than you, from the first day that you came here till today, you've already seen growth. I'm sure. You've already seen that you could fly. But sometimes, you know, you still say, but it's not enough, it's not fine. But don't stop. Do not settle for mediocrity in anything that you do, but in specifically in learning, because in learning, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives siyata deshmaya, he gives special gifts to those people that try and try and try some more. You will see how amazing you will be. There are stories about the Chassam Sefer, brought by Chaim Kanievsky in the Archas Yesher, and his father brings in the Birchas in the, um, the Chayayalam. There was a, a Talmud that came once to the Chassam Sefer. He wanted to get into the yeshiva of the Chassam Sefer, the yeshiva of Preshburg. And he came to the Chassam Sefer and he says, okay, I'd like to come to the yeshiva. He says, great, take out a Gemara, I'm going to give you a Fahar, I'm going to give you a Bechina. He said, I'm not prepared to take a Bechina on anything. I'm very, very uh, ill-suited. I don't, he says, come on, surely you know something. Well, you know Masechta. No, I don't know Masechta. You know a block. I don't know a block. I don't know anything. But I want to come to the Chassam Sefer's yeshiva. And the Chassam Seifer said, okay, I see something special in you, I'm accepting you. He says, wow, Baruch Hashem. He says, I'm going to now set you up with Chabrusi. He set him up with the Chabrusi and Musr and Halacha and Ashkafa and in, in Gemara, building his skill sets. And what happened was, this Talmud became so great in learning that in the Tshuva's Chassam Seifer, which is the response of the Chassam Seifer's response, Shailos Tshuva's, is... It's a classic, beyond. It's the, the most perfect of the Shailos and Shubas sermon that we have, that everyone loves the Chassam Sefer's Shubas. It's just a work of art. And there are several Shubas from this particular Talmud that came into Yeshiva not knowing a thing. And he's going back and forth. He's sparring in Halacha, in Lambdas, with the great Chassam Sefer. And the Chassam Sefer is, is feeling the heat. He's taking the challenge. The great Chassam Sefer, we don't have anyone to compare him to. This Talmud that knew nothing a few years ago was able to now make it into, just to, to make it into that Sefer, you have to be something. But you see from the, the covet that the Chassam Sefer is giving him in the way he entitles him at the beginning of the letters, this is a person that HaKadosh Baruch Hu bestowed greatness upon. Maybe naturally he did not have the skills, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu granted him those skills. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves people that try and that never say no, and that never accept no for an answer, and that say, if, I, if I'm here in this world, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me the Torah, and He gave me a brain, you better believe that I'm going to use it, and I'm going to try my best. And every time you try your best in Torah, you succeed. The, the stipler writes one of the letters, he says, every daf of Gemara that you learn is success. Don't tell me that you're not successful in learning. Every Rashi that you learn and that you know is success. Every Tysis that you learn and that you know is success. He says, and the more that you amass more Rashis, more Tysis, more Gemara, you will look in the mirror someday, that's not his Lashon, that's my Lashon, that's sort of what he's saying, and you will look back at, 
looking back at you will be a tremendous Tamil Chacham. Day by day, Rashi by Rashi, Taisus by Taisvis, Simon and Shulchan Aruch by Simon and Shulchan Aruch, Musa Sefer after that will breed success. Now, is it going to happen tomorrow? No. But if you do this steadily with a drip and another drip and another drip, like the, like the water that was, that was eroding the rock that Rabbi Akiva saw, and this was what inspired Rabbi Akiva to be Rabbi Akiva, little by little, do not give up. Do not ever give up. 